So this week, we are in our, going to be in chapter Genesis, Genesis chapter 20. Uh, we'll have the verses on the screen. I always encourage you to follow along in the Bible that you have with you. Don't have a Bible, you can pull out the one in front of you. It's the very first book, easy to find. Uh, we're going to be in our, we're in our final weeks now in our series, uh, The Difficult Journey of Faith, where we're looking at the life of Abraham that shows us what it looks like and does not look like to live by faith so that we may be people who live by faith. Because as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. Now for those of you who sit here today and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I was thinking this week, wouldn't it be great if the moment that we did that, the moment we became a Christian, that we just became instantly spiritually mature and perfect. Like, imagine how different our churches would be. Like, how different the world would be if, like, Jesus just automatically, through the Holy Spirit, transformed us. Like, we got done praying a prayer, and we really meant it, and we were seeking God, and we didn't struggle with gossip anymore or anger. There was no more temptation, no more complaining, no more selfishness. Men didn't leave the toilet seat up anymore, right? Just we became instantly perfect. We became a, a, a model of, of, of flawless integrity. Would that not be awesome? But we all know that's not the reality. It's not the reality for Christians. The truth is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you begin to follow him, you still carry with you this nature that loves to sin, that loves to be selfish, that loves to gratify your own desires. And the people in the Bible were no different. If you knew Moses and he was alive today, he would be in anger management classes. Samson, he struggled with his lifelong sexual desires. King David literally collected women like they were baseball cards. He had a kingdom that was ruined by a sexual scandal. Even in the New Testament, he saw Peter who loved to chew on and put his foot in his mouth. And even after Christ ascended to heaven, would still struggled in being a godly leader. And the same is with Abraham. We've seen him struggle many times. And we'll see him struggle again today. Proverbs 26, 11, one of my favorite verses, says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool that repeats his folly. Nice visual image there for you. Today, we are going to see Abraham return to his own vomit, so to speak. We're going to see him commit the same sin that we've already seen him commit before back in Genesis chapter 12. And, and that makes this a very important message for all of us here. Because the struggle that Abraham had, we have. It's something we have in common with Abraham. We often return to our own vomit. We often repeat the same fo follies over and over and over again. Let's see what I'm talking about. Let's read Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh, Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said, of, his, said of, his, of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. 
And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocent of my hands, I have done this. Verse 6, then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And these men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what, what have you done to us? And now... And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Verse 10. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. And they're going to kill me because of my wife. Besides, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said, this kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of the Lord. So we see Abraham moving into a new land. And he is afraid, yet again, that the inhabitants are going to kill him because they would want Abraham's wife, Sarah, for themselves. Because the king had a knack for doing that back in those days. If he saw a wife that he wanted, he didn't have a lot of issue with just killing her husband so that he could have her. Now, either Abraham was a super paranoid fella or Sarah was really smoking hot. I say that because at the time this happened, Sarah would have been 90 years old. Now, in some extra-biblical literature, they recall Sarah as being perfect in form, like as beautiful as Eve was. But even if that is the case, it seems like 90 is just it's a bit of a stretch, right? Now, we don't have time to go into it, but people lived a lot longer back then. So my guess is people aged just a little bit differently than we do now. But either way, Abraham had this fear that he was going to be killed for his wife. So for the second time, like he did in Egypt, he lied and said, Sarah is my sister. 
Now, technically, it was a half-truth because she was his stepsister. Well, once again, like has happened in many times as we talk through Genesis, that does not seem kosher to us today. But those were different times, and it was a different culture. Uh, and so this was a culturally accepted marriage back then. And they didn't worry about offspring and genetic deformities because the gene pool is a lot more pure then. Once again, we could spend a whole sermon all of that. We're not going to do it. Now, even though it was a half-truth, it wasn't the whole truth, which makes it a lie. God knows in our heart when our point, when we hold things back because we want to deceive somebody. And it's the, like I said, it's the second time he's faced this issue. Genesis 12, he lied also. And I want you to notice something. When he lies, where he is looking. You see, God has made all these promises to Abraham. He's shown himself time and time again. God repeatedly said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're, gonna, you're offspring like the sand of the sea, uh, the sand of the shore, stars of the sky. It's going to benefit all generations. And yet, notice what Abraham says in Genesis 20, verse 11. Notice what the focus of his words. He's not saying God will. He's saying they will. They will kill me. What has he done here? He's taken his eyes off of God and he's put them on everybody around him. He's looking at their power, their influence, what they can do. His eyes are not on God. Which is a little dumbfounding because literally in the last chapter, we saw last week, God leveled Sodom and Gomorrah. It's literally turned to ash to the point that nothing still even grows there to this day. And now Abraham is somehow afraid of people. It doesn't make sense where we sit. But I think it shows us how easy it is for us to forget about the Lord and take our eyes off of him. I mean, he, had a, he saw God's judgment, all these great powerful things, and they'd be like, man, we, we're like, if we saw those things, we have no problem trusting in God. If that's the case, we overestimate ourselves. Because I wonder if back then Abraham would be like, look, literally God gave you a book. He gave you a book that you can turn to of his promises anytime you want to, like literally anytime. Like sometimes I second, I mean, Abraham might be like, maybe I second guessed what God said. He's going back in his mind. Did I hear God correctly? Blah, 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 blah. But no, you have a book. You literally have the printed words and you don't trust God. It is in our nature, our sin nature to take our eyes off of God. This is what Abraham does. He's basically saying, I'm going to take some extra measures because I can't trust God. Maybe he wouldn't have said that with his mouth. I doubt he would, but he's saying it with his actions. I can trust in myself and my decisions, my extra protections, more than I can trust in God. You know, and it's funny, it really changes how you view Abraham. Like, he is called the father of faith. He is in the, the hall of faith champions in Hebrews. And yet here's, he's like lying for the second time. Remember that song? Remember you guys grew up in church, the song Father Abraham? Anybody? Father Abraham had many sons. Did many have many sons? Did Father Abraham? I am one. 
and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Thank you. Right arm, left arm. Did you know there's another verse? Father Abraham lied about his wife. Lied about his wife did Father Abraham. He also slept with his servant girl and lied about his wife again. You didn't know that was in there, did you? They probably pulled it because the tempo didn't work out. Like, this is the father of faith. These things that I, I'm trying to sing, they're true. That's not a life of faith. He's scheming. And faith is living a life without scheming. And we've already seen this twice, and we'll see it again. Do you know what happens when you stop trusting in the Lord and you start scheming? You get in trouble. You bring trouble. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Great verse for you to memorize in Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of the man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And what trouble is he bringing? See, what he's doing here is he's putting Sarah and the promise of his future son Isaac in danger. Remember, he was supposed to have a son with his wife Sarah in the next year. But because of his lie, Abimelech thought Sarah was a single woman. So he took her. And if it weren't for the interventions of God, he would have had normal relations with her. And the, Isaac, the son of promise, would have not been born. And this is a truth that should scare any of us who follow Christ. That any time that we act out of fear, rather than faith, we are putting those we love in danger. I'm sure if we took the time, we could stand up and we can all recount the times that we've acted out of fear and we can testify to the trouble that we've caused. Can I get an amen? That's a question that should make us pause. Am I about to put those I love in danger because I'm not acting in faith? Now the good news and what brings me hope when I'm foolish enough to act out of fear is that just like the first time that Abraham lied, there was hope to be found. And that hope is found in the faithfulness of God. I mean, in his grace, which he didn't have to, he comes to Abimelech in a dream, and he, he warns him, you have taken another man's wife. And then he prevents Abimelech from having a, a sexual relationship with her and sinning against God. And then he tells Abimelech what you need to do to make the situation right. All out of his grace, all out of his mercy. And then you see his grace on Abraham. And I want you to see how God refers to Abraham after he lied. Look here, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 7. Look at verse 7. What does he call Abraham? Evan, can you bring the slide up for me? Thanks. Call him, he is a, anybody? A prophet. This is the first time in the Bible that somebody is ever given the title prophet. And a prophet was somebody who spoke on behalf of God through special revelation. God still considers Abraham a prophet. And I say still, because I want you to see, even though Abraham had failed, even though he lied, it did not change what God had called him to be. 
How many of us give up on ourselves when we fail God? I am worthless. I'm done. God can't use me. I've messed up again. This little inner voice. And how many of us, we give up on others? These other Christians we look up to and then they failed as if they were like somehow perfect in the first place and then we're done with them. When we do that, we are making the mistake of equating our faithfulness with God's faithfulness. When his faithfulness is completely independent of ours. 2 Timothy 2 says that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. I'm going to say it again. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. What I love about the Bible is it doesn't whitewash its characters. There is some messed up people in the Bible. We've already read about a bunch. We're just getting started in the Bible when you're in Genesis. And, and, and the Bible does not exonerate Abraham for what he did. There's like not one word of defense that is offered on his behalf. And yes, God intervenes. And yet God intervenes. And, and God's intervention, it must be seen not as approval of what Abraham has done, but it's God's determination to fulfill his promise that he made because he's faithful in spite of the lapses, the moral lapses of his servant Abraham. And I'll tell you what that does for me. Church, it makes me so thankful that I don't have to be perfect to receive God's protection or his provisions or his promise to redeem us from our sin. Amen? Because it's about his faithfulness. No wonder it is called amazing grace. God knows that you, when you put your faith in him, are going to continue to sin. We are not going to be perfect this side of heaven. He knows that you're going to continue to sin when he calls you. Someone once said that when God calls us to something, he has already factored in our stupidity. It's very true. God does not reject his children when they sin any more than a parent rejects a child because they were disobedient. In the words of the late Alan Redpath, he's a British pastor, he said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Anybody who's been a Christian for a long time, you know that. You can say amen to that one. God knows this. And so he's patient with us. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me because... Some of us could be tempted to think, we may not say it out loud, we may not ever admit that we think it, but subconsciously we're thinking, man, if I've blown it, I can keep on blowing it, and God's going to keep saving me. And you may say, oh, I would never believe that. I'll tell you how you believe that, is you keep doing the same sin over and over and over again. Or you keep putting yourself in the same situation where you know you'll be tempted to sin, that same sin, over and over again. Romans 6 says otherwise. Paul was dealing with this problem in the church, and so he said this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, can we keep on sinning so God can give, keep pouring out more grace? He says, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? In other words, when we are justified in Christ, through faith in his death and resurrection, there will be a change in your life. 
We're not going to be perfect, but there will be a desire. That desire will be followed up with action to follow the word of God. This is the mark of a true Christian. It's not that you prayed a prayer one time. It's not that you've been baptized. Both good things, but a Christian is someone whose life is ever more working to look increasingly like Christ. Scottish minister James Strahan, he said this, Men are not to be judged by the presence or absence of faults, but by the direction of their lives. In other words, to becoming more like Christ. And I tell you, I think if you are a Christian and you truly want to escape your sin, one of the greatest prayers that you can pray in becoming more like Christ is, God, do not let me get comfortable with my sin. One of the most powerful prayers that I was ever taught that I started praying was, God, do not let me get comfortable with my sin because it's a true statement. Whatever you do and continue to do, you get better at. Whatever you practice at, you get better at. And I have noticed as a pastor and in my life, the more that we give in to sin, the less that we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the less we pay attention to him, and the deeper we get. I tell you right now, if you write down anything, write down this, to start praying, Lord, do not let me get comfortable with my sin. Convict me of it. Amen, church? Now, I think... We should pray this not just because we have desire to stop sinning, because it's also a true statement that sin have consequences. Charles Spurgeon, he said, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. Think on that for a moment. It means there are consequences. God in his grace will forgive us of our sins, praise God, but in his sovereignty, he allows our sin to produce a sad or a bad harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also, what church? Reap. And in Numbers 32, we read that our sin will catch up with us. Once again, I'm sure we could stand here and all testify to what our sin has cost us. Now, in this passage, kind of looks a little bit different then, don't it? I mean, after hearing from God, what does Abimelech do? He, he, he rewards Abraham. He gives him sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and a thousand pieces of silver, which I'm sure was a lot of money back then. So it, like, it kind of looks like Abraham actually profited from his lie. And, and we learn from a young age that we profit from lying. Like, what do you do? What do we do without ever even being taught when our parents come to us and they accuse us of doing something we do? What comes right natural to us? Lying. Why? Because we benefit from lying. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Even if you sit here and you don't believe in God, have you ever thought about why, of all the things you could respond with, you're always tempted to lie? I'll tell you the answer. It's because we have a sin, selfish nature inside of us. And we take what we learn about lying and the benefits, and it takes us with the rest of our lives. And we feel like we benefit from it. But I want you to remember what happened to Abraham the first time that he lied, back in chapter 12. Remember, the Pharaoh was like, get out of here. Okay, you lied to me, get out of here. And he gave him a bunch of stuff, right? 
And he was given so much stuff that it caused him and his nephew Lot to have to separate, right? Remember, they both had herds of sheep and goats and whatever else they had, and there wasn't enough grass, and their, shirt, their, their shepherds were fighting. So, you know, Abraham was like, Lot, you go one way, I'll go the other. And this split played a partial role in Lot ending up in Sodom, and we saw how that turned out for him last week. Through his last lie and the, the benefit of his lie, he also ended up with Hagar who he slept with so that he could have a son. Remember, it was his wife's bright idea. Like, I can't have a child, I'm barren, so you sleep with one of the servant girls and I'll have a child through her. We saw how bad that ended up. In fact, we spent one week talking about all of the consequences from that sin that still affect the world today. This is also something that should scare us. That God will not always override our sin. Now, sometimes he will protect us because he has a promise that he made and he will not let anybody prevent him from keeping it. But there are times that he allows us to sin. And when we listen to me, when we take matters into our own hands, even if it benefits, even if we think it benefits, we never really know what road we've just taken ourselves down. We never know what place we've just put ourselves. Any time that we sin, any time that we take matters into our own hands, we are now left wondering, what have I done? And I'm praying that that is a question that remains in all of our hearts because we don't think about that enough. Now one the, the scripture doesn't tell us if there were any penalties uh, from what happened here with Abimelech and Abraham. But there is one it does show us. One clear con- uh, consequence from Abraham's life, and that was that he lost his testimony. Listen, it, all throughout the beginning of time, the followers of God, one of their responsibilities is to show the rest of the world who God is because they're lost. How can Abraham talk to his pagan neighbors about the God of truth if he is a man who's lying? I mean, imagine how humiliated Abraham was when Abimelech called him in, confronted him, and rebuked him. How humiliated he was that the man who did not have faith in God had a better moral standard than he did. I mean, look at this. In Genesis 29, Abimelech says, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought this on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. Church, we should be afraid, probably maybe more than anything else, that when we don't walk by faith, when we take matters into our own hands of the witness that we are giving for God. Pastor James Strahan once wrote, a bad man's example has little influence over good men. But the bad example of a good man has enormous power for evil. How many people have you talked to where they're like, I don't believe in God, I don't get in church because I saw somebody or someone or a church do such and such? Now, don't get me wrong. Every human being is responsible for their faith. That in the end of the day, that argument does not hold up because if it did, people wouldn't go to hospitals anymore because there's bad doctors. Or they wouldn't go get their car fixed because they're bad auto mechanics. It's an excuse at the end of the day. 
but it is a reminder of the impact that we can have when we choose not to live out the faith that we possess. Are you with me, church? 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How can we do that if we're, how can we show these excellencies to a world if we're not living and putting our faith in this God who, who displayed this grace and mercy? How can we do this? We can't. And may the Lord convict us of where we're not living in faith, where we're being a bad witness. Man, fall's coming up. Some of you sports parents, whoo, all your Jesusness, man, you leave that right in your car when you get out the door and you go cheer your kid on. Some of some Christians are the worst representations of Christ when they're cheering on their kids. The way they yell at the other team, the way that they yell at their kid, the way they yell at their referees. I didn't even write this down. This just came to me, so maybe someone in here, God's talking to you. My kids are in sports, so maybe he's talking to me. I don't know. Now, to avoid all of this, I think there's one question we must ask ourselves. Lord, or one prayer we should pray. Lord, show me where my crutches are. Explain what I mean. When we hurt our feet or our legs and we're unable to carry our own weight, doctors prescribe for us crutches to lean on. When it comes to our faith, we have the same problem all the time. We are too weak. And so God wants us to lean on him. But instead of leaning on him, we have crutches that we lean on to avoid being obedient to him. For example, Abraham's crutch was lying. Second time he's done it. But he's not alone. We all have them. What is your crutch this morning? Some of you, your, your crutch is you lean on your past hurt. I've been hurt in the past. I've been abused. I've been mistreated. And so that is your crutch to keep leaning on instead of being obedient to God's word, trusting in his promises. Let me tell you, you may or may not be responsible for your hurt, but you are responsible for seeking God for your healing. And if you don't, you're sinning. And you're putting those you love in danger. Some of you, you lean, your crutch is hard work. I'm gonna work hard and as much as I can, men, this is usually our problem, as much as I can to provide as much for my family. Because at the end of the day, you're not trusting in God to provide. So instead of being the spiritual leader of your home, you're off working all the time. And you're putting your family in danger. Some of you, you're, you lean on your ability to push things through, your position of power or your charming personality, your ability to have a leadership and, and you're impatient so you push things forward. And sometimes that means lying or exaggerating in conversations because you just know what needs to be done and you're putting those you love in danger. Some of you, you lean on your ability to pretend that the problems are not there. If I just keep myself busy with other things and I don't think about it, I don't have to deal with it. Some of you, you're using relationships as a crutch. You should be leaning into the Lord for love and identity and purpose and fulfillment, and yet what you're doing is you're using a member of the opposite sex as your crutch, your crutch to get 
that that should only come from God. Some of you, you use blame shifting as your crutch. Everything is everybody else's fault. Good way to tell this is you're one who hardly ever apologizes for anything. Because if you're blaming everybody else, you don't have to look at yourself. The list could go on and on and on of all the different crutches we use in our lives when we're afraid of what we have to deal with, whether it's from the outside world or within ourselves. God wants you today to stop leaning on that crutch. Say, lean on me. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And I love this example of using Abraham because it's a great reminder that God uses crooked men and crooked women to make straight paths. It goes on to say, be wise not in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil, for it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Some of you are probably very bright people. I think the average IQ is what, 100 or something? Some of you might be hitting up at 110, 120, 130. Some of you might be up there at genius level, like 140. No matter where you are on the spectrum, it doesn't matter when it comes to this simple fact that we are still completely ignorant when compared to the mind of God. We're ignorant to understanding his ways and what is going on in this world. And so the one who recognizes that says, man, I can't trust in what I see. So I'm gonna go to God in prayer. Once again, this chapter, do not see go to God in prayer. I'm gonna go to God's word. You don't see God, Abraham going back and reciting God's promises to him. We're gonna say, and Abraham wouldn't understand this at that time, but one who knows that's gonna say, I wanna be in walk and sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit in my life. As it says in Corinthians, I wanna be someone who walks by faith and not by sight. I want to be someone who's going to take the promises in God's word, and I'm going to put God to the test and say, Lord, I'm going to believe you over what I see. And I wonder just how things would have turned out differently for Abraham and those he loved if he would have chose to trust God. Some of you are at a crossroads right now and if you're not at it right now, you're going to be. And you have a decision. I'm going to either keep my eyes on God, I'm going to be obedient to his word no matter how hard it is, or I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to grab my own crutch to lean on. And depending on how you answer that decision, what you do at that crossroads, you're going to send you and those around you on the path. I pray it is a path that reveals to those around you that God is worthy of our trust, that he is worthy of our faith, that no matter what we can see around us, that we remember that he is faithful. Amen, church?